0: Good morning everyone i 'm Mark, and uh, I get to spend some time with you today looking uh at the life of gideon uh, he 's an interesting guy he 's an unlikely uh person to rise up and become the the judge the the ruler the deliverer uh, of israel in this in this time in this place and uh, it's an interesting narrative that I think uh, we'll be able to see a lot of ourselves uh, in Gideon. And uh, so I'm excited to kind of unpack that and, and, and look at that together today. But before we jump into that, that, this is why I'd, like I'd like you to turn to somebody. Make sure it's somebody you do not know. Make sure you know their name and ask them this question. What are the most important characteristics of a hero? Go for it. Bonnie, Heather, really? Really? Okay, cool, go ahead. All right, come on back, come on back. Bonnie, you can come back. So, cool. So, what are some characteristics of a hero? Anybody, anybody want to... Weigh in on this. And please say your name before you answer, so we can all know and love you. Jordan Clark, and I think an important characteristic is strength. Strength. Mm-hmm. Okay. Strength. Just overall strength and emotional, emotion. spiritual, physical, all of the above. Strength. Cool. Thank you. Just wanted to clarify. Thank you. Charlie. Integrity, consistency, truth, justice in the original American way. Okay. (laughs) The original American one. Anybody else? Okay. Humility. Oh, I'm Ruth Marie, and it's humility. All right. Humility is an important characteristic of a leader in the coffee clan over here. Eagerly wants to answer. My name's Mary, and I think selflessness. Selflessness. Mm -hmm. All right. Cool. All all very important characteristics uh, of a hero. And uh, today we're going to be looking at, again, uh, Gideon, who uh, I don't know if he, he actually had any of these characteristics that we were talking about. Um, he's kind of a he's an unlikely hero. And basically the setting here, uh, what's happening, uh, is it's 40 years after J.L. drove the, the, uh, the tent spike through Sisera's or melon, uh, and um, uh, Israel had had once again uh, turned from God and started worshiping idols. And if you open up your Bibles to Judges chapter 6, um, there's a lot of scripture today, so it's not all going to be on screen or on your card. So it uh, starts out this way, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. The Midianites were so cruel that Israel made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian Amalek and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying the crops as far away as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, goats, cattle, and donkeys. These enemy hordes, coming with their livestock and tents, were as thick as locusts. They arrived on droves of camels, too numerous to count, and they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. When they cried out to the Lord because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites. He said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought you up out of slavery in Egypt. I rescued you from the Egyptians and from all who oppressed you. I drove out your enemies and gave you their land. I told you, I am the Lord, your God. You must not worship the gods of the Amorites. In those whose land you live now, but you have not listened to me. So basically, once again, as we see as a theme throughout Judges, that, that a generation has passed, and once again, the Israelites have turned from God, and they, they have started worshiping the, the, the Asher pole again, which uh, Pastor Dan talked about last week, and they were worshiping Baal and uh, just had totally just kind of immersed themselves into the culture in which uh, the people, the, the land of the people that they were living in, and they had turned from God, and God had removed his protection from them and allowed them to be conquered. In verse 11, it goes on, it kind of jumps here and says, Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree of Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abiezer. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of the winepress to hide the grain from the Midianites. So let me take a stop right here. Basically, you have this guy named Gideon. And because of all of these marauders, all these people every, um, coming in, uh, uh, every time that the Israelites would would grow crops and and have any food that the marauders would come in. so Gideon here is at the bottom of a of a wine press trying to just eke out uh, survival, trying to trying to do this threshing. And, you know, not many of us have threshed weed and things like that. But traditionally, it was done on a hillside where where, they would thresh it and the wind would come and it would blow the chaff, chaff away and the, the good substance of the wheat would remain. So you can imagine being in kind of a hole here, no wind, and he's trying to do this really difficult job of, of separating uh, the wheat from the chaff. And uh, But he's doing this because it was the only way that he would be able to eat and his family could eat. So you're you could imagine if you, that you were in this hole and you were doing this, this would be a pretty miserable time in your life now you're you're kind of just squeaking out you know your your base existence. I don't know if you've ever been hungry or even on the verge of starvation or or extremely thirsty and things like that, but when you're, when you're at that point in your life. When you're just trying to to get a little bit of food or or get a little bit of water, you're not thinking about higher level things that that you're just basically trying to survive at this moment. So here he is in the bottom of that hole, just kind of by himself, trying to eke out enough food for him and his family. And this is what happens. The angel of the Lord appears to him and says, mighty hero. The Lord is with you. I mean, could you imagine that? Like you sitting in like your cubicle or something? Or or you're just, you know, just you know, you're just in a in a place where you're just trying to survive and and you know, the angel of the Lord comes up and is like, you know, mighty hero. The Lord is with you. And personally, I would think that God was mocking me at that point and <laughs> making fun of me. I'm like, really? I mean, I'm trying to get some wheat here and I don't, I don't need you piling on. Thanks. Uh, but so Gideon comes back, and says, sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us. And, and listen to the kind of the, the bite behind these questions. Look, if the Lord is with us. Why has this happened to us? And where are all the miracles of our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the midnights. I love his answers or questions there. The angel of the Lord comes to him and says, hey, mighty hero. He's like, you know what? God or angel of the Lord, or whoever you are. I'm sitting here, I'm trying to do the best that I can. I'm just trying to eke out an existence. And you know what? If you truly are who you say you are, then where are all these miracles that I've heard about? Where are all these great things that that our ancestors told us about? You know, where... Where is the God who delivered His people out of Israel? Because you know what, God? I'm not seeing it. I don't know if you've ever been at just such a bad place as that. At the bottom of a wine press, trying to eke out a meager existence. And you kind of... somebody. Tells you about God or, or, or you encounter God some way. And you're just like, you know what? God, I don't have time for you right now. I'm just trying to eat. I'm just trying to get by. And I don't need you invading into my life right at this moment. And if you were so great, you would turn things around. I mean, this is really the the place that Gideon is in. And he's not thinking about strength or integrity or or honesty or or any of these things. He just he's just a guy. He's just a guy who's hungry and he's beat up. In verse 14, it's interesting as you. The Lord, then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. Go with the strength that you have. He's not saying, you know what? I know. I'm not saying that I'm picking you that you were the best candidate here at the bottom of the of the wine press that that somehow that that you are are you know you already have the money and the resources and the army that's not what god is trying to do here god is trying to do something bigger and he reaches down into this wine press and intersects where life and god comes together he's saying look you don't have to have it all figured out. Just right now, whatever strength that you have, as little as it is, which Gideon's was little at this time, this is tiny faith or no faith and no strength. He says, just go with what you have. And then he replies, How can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest. In the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. He's like, Look, not only am I not prepared, I'm not the guy, my family is not prepared, that they're the least, and not only are they the least, I'm the least of the least. I am not a mighty hero. God, I'm not even sure that I believe in you anymore. Because you have abandoned us to this circumstance. So why are you coming to me? And he goes on, he says, If you are truly going to help me, show me a sign to prove that it is really the Lord speaking to me. Don't go away until I come back and bring my offering to you. He answered, "I will stay here until you return." Here we have Gideon. There's, there's just this tiny little thing. Maybe I, I don't know if it's hope. I don't know if it is because of the stories of the ancestors that he that he had heard that God had used people in their own circumstance to deliver. I don't know if he knew the story, you know, of of deliverance that had happened again and again and again. But there's something inside him that says, you know what, I have enough faith to ask you at least to prove yourself. And I'm going to make some sort of test. So Gideon hurried home. And it's interesting what he does. He, he cooks a young goat. And with a basket of flour, he bakes some bread without yeast. Then carrying the meat in a basket in the broth in a pot he brought it out and presented it to the angel who was under the great tree obviously god had a lot of time here because he's like don't go away until i bring my offering back to you and i was thinking when i was like you know looking at this story he's gonna go and run get something like just bring the goat right but no i mean obviously i i don't know if it's an act of defiance like god said i'll wait and he's like all right you're gonna really wait you know it's like <laughs> You know, AT&T customer service, right? You know, they got you. No one works for AT&T here, I hope. So, So carrying back and he goes into the tree. The angel of God said to him, place the meat and the unleavened bread on this rock and pour the broth over it. And Gideon did what he was told. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the bread with the tip of his staff in his hand and... Fire flamed up from the rock and consumed all he had brought. And then the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was indeed the angel of the Lord, he cried out, O sovereign Lord, I am doomed. I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And then a voice, it's all right, the Lord replied. Do not be afraid, you will not die. And Gideon built an altar to the Lord, and named it Yahweh Shalom, which means the Lord is peace. The altar remains in Ophrah in this land of the clan of Abezer to this day. So basically, we have the oppression of Israel going on for seven years. That a prophet comes and says, Look, guys, you've blown it again. And after the prophet comes, God says, You know what? I'm going to deliver Israel once again. And he meets Gideon. In his pit, in his circumstance, in his hurt, in his pain, in his doubt, in his hunger. It says, look, go with the strength that you have. I realize that it's not much. I realize emotionally you're not strong. I realize that you're physically probably not strong. I, you're, you're obviously not spiritually strong right now but go with the strength that you have so he does this one first little step of faith saying all right i'm going to see if you are who you say you are so he does this 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 test and god shows gideon what he needs to know at that point he he you know he burns up the 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 goat and and the bread but remember what the call is the call is Gideon you in the bottom of the wine press are going to free you are going to deliver Israel from this massive army so he's like you know what this is enough for me to take my next step of faith but maybe I'm not ready to go and storm the enemy camps at at this point So this is the next thing. It's interesting that happens in verse 25. That night, the Lord said to Gideon, Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one that is seven years old. Pull down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asher pole standing beside it. Then build an altar to the Lord your God here on this hilltop sanctuary. Laying the stones carefully, sacrifice the bull as a burnt offering on the altar, using as fuel the wood of the Asher pole you cut down. This is huge at this point that that basically uh, spirituality and, 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 and politics were interwoven in that day. there wasn't freedom of religion there wasn't hey you do this and you, but you can vote for the democrats or the republicans it was it was completely one unit this him going and destroying this altar this astropol and and tearing down the 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 monument to baal would would be the equivalent of us of somebody going and, and, and blowing up the state building or, or taking down the Washington Monument or, or something like that, that they're, this, this is an act not only against people's religion, but against their country. This is not a, a small deal that, that, that Gideon is doing, but God had called him to do it. It's also interesting to me <laughs> that God calls him to use the fuel from the wood of the Asher pole to facilitate, to be the fuel of his worship. This thing of evil, this thing that was used for, for bad, this, this symbol of something that was opposed to God, God is saying, you know what? use that use that to facilitate your worship to me when i read that i i think about so many different evils in this world that that people have been able to use that as the fuel of their worship i think about people who who have have had sexual addiction, that that they they use that and put that on the altar of God and use it as as fuel to to have a ministry to other people, that people who who have offered up the evilness of maybe their self-destructive uh, substance abuse and things like that, that that they give that to God and that that evil and that ugly thing has turned into something that is beautiful and that is worshipful. As they help other people see God's healing power through them. Even ugliness of 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 abortion or or rape or or, or all of these kinds of things that that God's saying, you know what? That's your asher pole. This ugliness, this 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 thing that that had had been once used to turn you and other people away from me, that you know what? Now you can use this to facilitate your worship to me. So Gideon took ten of his servants. And I want you to notice the progression of faith here. First, it was just God and Gideon. Now it's Gideon and ten servants and God. And he did what the Lord had commanded, but he did it at night because he was afraid the other members of his father's household and the people of town. Because why? Because they would kill him early the next morning as the people of the town began to stir. Someone discovered that the altar of Baal had been broken down and that an asher pole beside it had been cut down in their place. A new altar had been built and on it were the remains of the bull that had been sacrificed. The people said to each other, who did this? And after asking around and made a careful search, they learned that it was Gideon, the son of Joash. Bring out your son, the men of the town demanded of Joash. He must die for destroying the altar of Baal and for cutting down the Asher pole. These are Israelites. This is important. These are the people who are meant to have a devotion to Yahweh, to God. This is God's team here. And they're saying, you know what? Instead of applauding Gideon, who took down these altars and used this, what was evil... And to feel the worship, instead of them rejoicing, now at this point, they're saying, you know what? We want to kill him for doing this. And sometimes, you know what? The very people that are meant to be your allies, the very people who are meant to be your encouragement, are the very ones who are going to speak out against you. But God did something here. He did something now that he moved from just Gideon and moved from Gideon and the ten servants. Now it's moving from Gideon, the ten servants, and Gideon's father now gets it. And Joash shouted to the mob that confronted him, Why are you defending Baal? Will you argue his case? Whoever pleads his case will be put to death by morning. If Baal is truly God, let him defend himself and destroy the one who broke down his altar. Then Gideon, from then on, Gideon was called Jerobel, which means let Baal defend himself because he broke down Baal's altar. Now, this is Gideon's new nickname given, thankfully, from his dad. I'm essentially because his dad's sitting there and saying, look, let Baal defend himself. Let Baal kill the person who did this. He's saying, let let this God kill my son. And everybody is sitting there going, OK, well, let's call him that. You know, let, let's call every time, you know, instead of Gideon, we're going to say, hey, guy who's going to be killed by Baal or something like that. It's the equivalent and and. I hesitate to do this, and I know Amy Gourtney is saying, please don't do it, (laughs) (laughs) but I want want you guys to, to understand, and in the 21st century and in the 20th century, we have an equivalent to this, and that is when you say, God damn you, God damn you to hell. Essentially, what we are saying there is that we want God to destroy you and put you in complete, eternal separation from him. So essentially, this is the nickname that was given Gideon. Not cute, not like Boo Bear. Like, 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 this is really, really bad. He continues on after that, now that he has his, his dad on his side. And in verse 31, oh, excuse me, in verse 33, Gideon is excited about what is going on that 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 he starts actually being really encouraged and going forward, and he 's starting to see that God has called him and soon afterwards, the armies of Midian and Amalek and the people of the East formed a alliance against Israel and crossed the Jordan why because because of Gideon and because of his small steps of faith that started building, and other people started joining them, and the enemies are starting to see that there's going to be trouble with the Israelites. So they're going to come against them and squash them again. And then, 30, verse 34 then the Spirit of the Lord took possession of Gideon. Basically, that he finally realized that he was the appointed leader of Israel. He blew a ram's horn as a call of arms and the men of the clan of Abiezer came to him. He also sent messengers throughout Manasseh, Asher, Zabian, and Naphtali summoning the warriors. And all of them responded. So basically, we have all of these people. He blows the horn that, that he starts sending messengers out. And now this guy who was in a pit... And God was saying, "Mighty warrior," and he didn't believe it. He didn't believe in God. Then he went and took one small step of faith, and God met him there and showed him that he was faithful. And he took another step, a bigger step that could have cost him his life. But his dad intervened and and changed the crowd. And they and he continued on and growing in his in his faith until he really said, "You know what." I believe that God has called me to do this. And he raises an army. He raises an army of 32,000 warriors who are ready to do battle. But Gideon's lack of faith, I guess, started getting hold of him again because he was going to be going up against a much larger army. He said to God, you know what, God, if you're truly going to use me to rescue Israel, as you promised, prove it to me in this way. I will put a wool fleece on the threshing floor tonight. If the fleece is wet with dew in the morning, but the ground is dry, then I will know that you're going to help me rescue Israel as you promised. And that is just what happened. When Gideon got up early the next morning, he squeezed the fleece and wrung out a whole bowlful of water. You know, it, it's interesting. But God's not mad at him asking. He has Gideon on this on this progression of trust. He's like, you know what? You need some more reassurance? Sure, I'll do a, I'll do a miracle. Yeah, you want to put out a fleece and, and you want me to make it wet? Oh, yeah, All right, no problem. So, so he does that. And then verse 39, then Gideon said to God as he wrung out his fleece in the water bowl, he says, please don't be angry with me, but let me make one more request. Let me use the fleece for one more test this time, let the fleece remain dry while the ground around it is wet with dew. So that night God did as Gideon asked. The fleece was dry in the morning, but the ground was covered with dew. God's not mad. Yeah, I, I have heard so many messages on this that the pastor condemns Gideon. But God doesn't condemn Gideon. I mean, who who are we to sit in judgment of this guy? I think it's really easy for us to go, look, God burnt the goat up and and you, you know what, you didn't die after after you cut down the asher pole and knocked down the thing. So what's your problem? Go out there, go to go to battle. You know, what's the what's the big deal? It's easy for us to sit there and do this, but this is a real guy, real life, one chance. And if he misses it He's dead. DOA, assume room temperature. You know, he is is not going any further. He's like, you know what, God? I need to seek you out a little bit more because I don't know if this is right. And I, I personally believe that you cannot go wrong if you are truly seeking out God's will. And I don't think it makes God angry. That if you are really in earnest just seeking out God and God, I, I just show me a scripture, put somebody in my life. I I need some reassurance to take one more step. That that is okay. And I think it's a lot better than apathy. But I don't think that Gideon here is looking for an excuse out. He's looking for Just assurance that God's going to be there and fulfill his promise to him. So, dear which is Gideon, that's his new nickname. And he's referred to that now as that. And his army got up early and went as far as the spring of Herod. The armies of Midian were camped north to them in the valley um, near the hill of Moreh. You know where that is, right? Uh, The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many warriors with you. If I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. Therefore, tell the people, Whoever is timid or afraid may leave this mountain and go home. So 22,000. Of them went home, leaving only 10,000 who were willing to fight. This is not good. If you're Gideon, you're like finally going, all right, I got 32,000 guys. Things are going right. And God's all like, yeah, no. We need to do something different here. You've taken control here in your zealousness to follow me. And I'm not angry at you. But. You've ramped up this army, and I, I didn't ask you to ramp this army up. I asked you, I told you that you were going to deliver. And we're going to have to pare it down here a little bit. You got 32,000? Tell those who are afraid or are not into it, just go home. 22,000 go. So he's sitting there. Two-thirds of his army is gone. He's got 10,000 guys. He's like, well... You know, if we do this and you do a little bit of that, you know, all right, it might it might work out. Okay, cool. But then the Lord told Gideon, and I'm like, no, Lord. I'm okay, I don't need any more instruction. And he says, no, there's still too many. Bring them down to the spring and I will test them to determine who will go with you and who will not. When Gideon took his warriors down to the water, the Lord told him, divide the men into two groups. In one group, I will put those who cup in their hands and lap it up. Excuse me. This is still bizarre every time I read it. So <laughs> in one group, put all those who cup water in their hands and lap it up with their t- tongues like dogs. In the other group, put all those who kneel down and drink with their mouths in the stream. Okay. Okay. So just imagery. on again, I, I, maybe you get this mental picture. I've had a really hard time trying to get this mental picture. But basically how I understand it is God says, all right, every, you know, tell them to all go get a drink. They all go down, all 10,000 go down and get to drink. And, and he says, look, it split up. The guys who take it in a bowl and drink it like that. And put them on one side, and then the guys who come and, and just stick their head in the water and, and drink, you put them over on the other side. I'm, I'm thinking if I'm Gideon, all right, cool. You know what? No one's going to go up and drink like that. I mean, who drinks like that? Anybody? I, I've been asking around. Nobody goes up to, the, to the, the river and sticks their head in and, and starts drinking. We, everybody cups their hands. So I'm thinking Gideon's thinking, all right, this is a pretty good bet at this time. Well, verse 6, only 300 men drank from their hands. Really? I'm sitting there, if I'm Gideon. Where are you guys from? All the others got down on their knees and drank with their mouths from the stream. The Lord told Gideon, with these 300 men, I'll rescue you and give you victory over the midnight. Send all the others home. So Gideon collected their provisions and ram's horns of the other warriors and sent them home. But he kept the 300 men with him. And I'm just going to tell you what happens. You see, Gideon one more time is worried that his 300 men now are not going to be able to be victorious. And God says, you know what? Go down there. Sneak into the enemy camp and you're going to get your answer. So Gideon goes down and he sneaks in and he hears two soldiers talking about how one had had a dream that that Gideon was going to come in and destroy them and, and he's built with so much confidence of this that the 300 men circle the camp, just spread out and they they shout and they they blow their ram's horns. And there's such confusion that happens during this time that the the warriors they they start scrambling and in a panic they they start killing each other and 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 running away and that day, God gave Gideon the victory over this oppressive enemy that had oppressed them for seven years and you look at it and you take a step back and you 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 look at the progression of his faith Gideon didn't go from the pit to the battlefield that God took him on a journey but Gideon was willing to go on that journey Gideon was willing to go and get that initial test that initial seeking of God's will He was willing to break down the altars. And you know what? He probably worshipped those altars as well. That this represented something that all the families were doing, all the tribes, all the Israelites, including Gideon. And Gideon was breaking down what used to be evil in his life and self-destructive in his life and something that pulled him away from God in his life and breaking it down and using it as a fuel for his worship to God. He went with the strength that he had and God incrementally gave him more. And the interesting thing is when he started getting healthy and strong and and he thought that, you know what, he'd come to a point where he's thinking now I can do this, this can work. God says, no. You've gone too far and I need you to take a step back. And thankfully at that point that Gideon had come to a point in his spiritual journey that he would trust God with that. Even though it didn't make sense to him. And the same is true for us. God is saying, go with the strength that you do have. That you know what? Those things that have represented evil and destruction in in your life, you know what? Use that as the fuel. Those experiences are not wasted. That you can bring glory to me through those. And to go forward, and I will give you victory. But everyone needs to know that I am the one who gave you victory. You guys pray with me? Dear God, thank you for the story of Gideon, just uh, his path, his journey, his time. God, I just uh, know that many of us, sometimes like Gideon, we have questions. We say, God, where are the miracles that we've heard about? Where, where is your power that we've heard about? God, I just pray that you will give us the courage to use the strength that we do have, the faith that we do have, and take small steps and allow yourself to prove faithful, that we will be pliable and moldable, that we will seek you out. We love you, Lord. You name. Amen. Ow. Ow. Ow.